It is indeed a pleasure to have this privilege to play here for you. We, we intend to give you a very fine program, so just settle back, relax, and enjoy the moment. moment, 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 moment. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Mike Up. I'm your host, Mika Gadsden. On this episode, you're going to hear my interview with South Dakota-based activist and educator Sunrose Ironshell. I was lucky enough to have met Sunrose via a mutual friend of ours, Ken Snipe. Ken, who does amazing work here in Charleston, especially with the local chapter of the YWCA, attended the Nexus USA Summit last winter. It was there she sat in on a presentation led by Sunrose. Sunrose, who describes herself as pre-American, and that's in contrast to indigenous or Native American, uh, she's a, an art teacher. She teaches high school kids, and she's also a very, very passionate uh, voice in the fight for the forgotten. The work done by Sunrose and many of her contemporaries is vital. That's because it's helping to bring awareness to the tragedy that is missing and murdered indigenous women, or MMIW. On Saturday, June 9th, 2018, at 6.30 p.m., the local chapter of the YWCA will be organizing a visual that's going to honor the lives touched by and lost to human trafficking here in our state. It's going to feature voices like Kathleen Hayes of the Indigenous Women's Alliance of South Carolina, and many others. These are leading voices in the hashtag MMIW movement. And if you're in the area, I encourage you to to attend this vigil. For more information, please visit ywca-charlestonsc.org. But without further ado, Here's my conversation with Sunrose via video chat. And after the interview, you'll hear more information about upcoming community events featuring myself and the Charleston Activist Network. Is that cool? Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So my name is Sunrose Iron Shell. I am Titoan, Sichangu, and Ogallala Lakota, part of the Sioux Nation which is better known today uh, from Standing Rock as the Ocheti Shakoi, mm. Ocheti Shakoi, the Seven Council Fires. Mm. So the Lakota, Nakota, Dakota, um, we encompass the Great Plains. So South Dakota, North Dakota, a little bit of Minneapolis, a little bit through Montana, all the way down to Colorado. So those are like all the way up to Canada too. Wow. And we traveled like all the way down to Mexico, so like, but the Great Plains, those ge- geographical boundaries, so that's kind of um, where we're at. And then my people, the Sioux, the Lakotas, are probably hmm, the most stereotyped Native tribe. Um, so people will always refer to us or think of, especially outside of the United States people will automatically think of the Sioux and the Lakota because of the Battle of Little Bighorn and killing Custer. So my people are the one and only people, nation, to defeat the United States in a military front. So we kind of carry that title 
which has also led us to being on prisoner of war camps. So reservations here, um, they're actually legally known as prisoner of war camps. So I live on the Rosebud Reservation in South Dakota, which is currently, you know, we call it an Indian reservation, but really it's a prisoner of war camp. And they're numbered, they all have numbered. Um, and we have two IDs, right? We have our uh, American ID, which is the social security number and like our driver's license are like South Dakota State. And then we have our tribal IDs and those are literally actually our prisoner of war numbers. Um, so I flew from South Dakota to Washington DC and we were at this event called the Nexus USA Summit. And it was at the Institute of Peace in Washington, D.C. And that's where I met our um, friend, Case Knight. <laughs> and um, I gave a presentation about food sovereignty. Um, being out here in the prairie is grazing land. And all you see is cows. So there's cows everywhere. And we're over here standing up and protecting water and against the oil industry, but nobody talks about the beef industry and how much pollution it really puts into the earth. So I've always been very pro buffalo. Um, and then the way the buffalo eat the grass, it's, it's all symbiotic and the circle of life and, the, and cows are just not. <laughs> wow, I never even made that distinction, but, but I've definitely heard more and more um, conversation around how 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 sustainable or not sustainable beef <laughs> beef is um so that's a, and when you tie it to indigenous culture you know um it makes a lot of sense um why you would uh be right now talking about food sovereignty and the buffalo it just makes sense it feels like traditional values and traditional customs tend to be the best things we should do but we tend to go against that i guess in right. this country so that's amazing. So food sovereignty. And what else did you um, speak or present on? Um, I talked about the MMIW epidemic, which is missing and murdered indigenous women. So we use the hashtag MMIW, hashtag red dress project. So uh, and that's a lot where I come in with art and using art to um, bring that whole issue above the people people's eyes you know the awareness of it um indigenous women are um wow on the highest statistics in every statistic ours is always the worst and all the worst bad statistics you can think of um either we're not even on the map at all mm. Or we're the highest. What? What? Why do you? What do you attribute that to? All I attribute it to colonization. So ever since they landed here, they used this as a resource, and found out um, our societies were matriarchal. So mm -hmm. our people always listened to the women's, the women's societies, women's councils. There were uh, men's councils too, but they always, always had like a whole circle of women behind them. So patriarchy came through and automatically shut down the indigenous woman. 
So traditionally, originally, I like to use the word originally instead of traditionally, because traditionally can also be, you know, interpreted different. We have new traditions that we make every day. So originally, with the women's councils, the colonizers came and they're like, we want to talk to your leader. And so the warriors um, took them into the women's council and the white man was like, um, we're not talking to no women. I'm not talking to a woman. So the women's council had to turn around and appoint a man to speak for them. And then that's how you got chiefs. So we never used to have chiefs. Um, so that's a brand new thing. That's wow! Not- wow! This goes. This goes against like everything you might have have been taught in schools. Completely. This is amazing. Okay. Right. Okay. And so that's the whole start of breaking down our matriarchal societies, breaking down that that honoring of the female. Um, and so the the white men would tell the chiefs because because they would come bring them gifts right to trade with and the chief would turn it around and give it to the people and they're like no no this is yours this is for you so that individualism Mm. as well um to steal and come in and take our resources um but by the time the whole wave of colonization got to us in the, the great plains um we whooped them we beat Custer. We killed Custer. We killed all those generals. So now we're on prisoner of war camps. And no, there's no laws whatsoever. There's treaty law, which Article 6 of the United States Constitution says that treaties are supreme law of the land. Yet the United States is like, yeah, whatever, because they found gold here. So all the gold that's like in Fort Knox and backs their money or doesn't back their money, um, that's resources from our land. So Black Hills gold gets taken. It's like an $8 billion industry every year. But my people don't get any any of that, even though the treaty says that, you know, we own these lands. And um, there's a bad man clause where we're supposed to have the authority and jurisdiction to um, remove someone who's being who who's being abusive to our women, like a non-native man, and remove him out of our lands. But when it really comes down to it, those laws, um, the treaty law, is just a piece of paper. So it really goes to state jurisdiction and um, tribal jurisdiction has no authority of over non-members. Wow. So anybody, anybody could come into our community, still women, or maybe even like, uh, I'm so bold as to say that a non-native man could come in and murder me, have it on camera, um, have the murder weapon, have all the evidence for it, but our tribal court literally could not charge him. So even though they had all this evidence against him, tribal court could not charge him. So hence, it's like the wild, wild west out here. Since since there's no laws that protect us, um, men are really abusive and they they steal our women all the time. Wow. Just listen to the effects that colonization had, has has and had on your community. It's traumatic just listening to, to this and... You're right. And now I see how colonization has effects on current day issues like women and 
in human trafficking and 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 the uh, domestic violence. This, so so seeing this close up, did this move you to be an an activist or a voice? Um. Well, maybe it just forced me. It actually forced me to speak up because all of a sudden I'm like, whoa, this is my reality. This is my reality. Okay. Um, I'm always comparing it to this as well. Um, white privilege. There's something I cannot do. I used to also live in Denver. And in Denver, I'd see white women running. And they're running shorts, their short little booty running shorts, <laughs> their their little um, bra top, and then they're just running. They're just on their daily running, and I could never do that. One, I'm too sexy. <laughs> <laughs> Two, if someone snatches me up, I'm gone. Right. I'm gone forever. Wow. And um, all it would take is for me to go on a little simple run like that. Maybe maybe they would recognize me as an indigenous woman. Maybe they want it. I blend in here and there. Um, but especially to native communities like out here in South Dakota, um, we used to hitchhike a lot. Our communities are really far from each other. Maybe about two hours, three hours. Everything's like an hour away. So what do you do when you're from a poor community and you're just trying to you know get over to your family? So maybe you catch a ride an hour away and you get dropped off at some gas station and you're waiting for somebody else to come pick you from the other side, driving an hour away. When that little span of time, a lot of our girls get picked up and there's truck drivers, truckers. You get you get snatched up by a truck and you could be gone. You're gone. And um, funny thing, crazy thing, on my way to Washington DC to do that presentation, we were, oh, we had so many like layovers. But I think it was Chicago, I'm pretty sure. Um, we were flying over Chicago and I seen huge, huge um, storage container ships. And it overwhelmed me. And I've, I've only seen the ocean twice before. And um, like I said, I'm strictly great planes and then I don't really go out, I'm just sticking the planes. We out here running horses and wind in our hair and everything. And when I flew over those ships, I was so overwhelmed and I was like, wow, that's a ship. And then automatically in my mind, because this is where my mind goes to, is my sisters in, in uh, human captivity. And that's how they transport. Mm-hmm. Um, the human trafficking, right, would be in those storage containers. And I'm looking down at this ship that has like hundreds of storage containers on that. And I'm thinking in my head, wow, I wonder if I'm looking down and there's any of my sisters in those storage containers. And then the next day, there was actually a news story that came out uh, where some indigenous women were in a situation like that. And um, that was really, uh, I don't know, even I'm kind of shook up about it now, thinking about it, but I would rather have um, seen those ships flying over them than actually being caught and then seeing those ships for the first time, but there's nothing you can do about it because you're, I don't know, my mind just goes places like that because it's also a reality of things that could happen. So 
being an art teacher at high school of of high school students, I have to make sure they're aware that this is our reality and that to never put yourself in a situation that you could get snatched up. I'm always giving my phone number out to these uh, young girls. Like, if you ever need anything, like, you know, call me. Judgment-free zone. Call me, and I'll pick you up. I don't want to find out you were out there. Had to hitchhike from some something. And, I don't know. Right. The MMIW, that is real. And more of our sisters go missing all the time. So, so what do you... So... Wow, to, to know that the threat is that imminent and that real every day, um, it, again, is very unsettling and it's sobering. So what do you, is there like a group that you spearhead or that you lead that that you uh, come up with action plans for the young girls? Or what? how do you, outside of teaching and advocating, um, how do you organize to help mitigate these, these losses? Um... We, we are getting organized. Um, we're actually having a women's gathering here pretty soon, and it's going to be about five days of us just talking about all of this and what we can do. Um, we had a lot of our, our male relatives that are also in the movement. This weekend was their training where they had all the males come and um, basically giving them a talk about you need to step up. And um, a, sp- a few of our females are supposed to go over there and also tell them what we expect from our men who are stepping up and how, as a community, we need to break down those uh, barriers of patriarchy because that's what's been keeping us di- uh, separated with that division of patriarchy that came in that's not even our original way- ways of thinking. And without them even knowing them, our men don't even realize how patriarchal they are. And then we got to kind of like put them in check as well. But we're trying to do it in a healthy, loving way. Um, that's So that's, that's amazing. You're right. It's just like with white supremacy, a lot of us have internalized it. Even though I'm not white, I've internalized a lot of white supremacy. And I have to deprogram myself. So it sounds like you'd have to deprogram males in your community to not think along those patriarchal those lines and go back to what you call original original ways of life and thinking right okay. so yeah go ahead we also did an event here in rosebud um an mmiw event and we invited women from canada because canada really sparked this movement and they have a highway that connects all their reserves. They call them reserves. And on that highway, there were 4,000 missing women. That was their statistic that they finally came up with. So the movement really started like in 2012 with I Don't Know More, because so many women were missing and nobody was looking for them. So the communities are um, forced to come together. There's something they call Drag the Red, so there's a river and they call it the red river because bodies get thrown in there all the time so our own community uh has to drag that river and they do it every day whenever they have uh, you know money and resources to go out there um they do it and they look and they find they're they're responsible for finding a lot of canadian women wow 
Um, wow, drag the red. So they're dragging a river in search of lost bodies and just murdered women. Mm -hmm. Oh man. Yeah. Um, okay. With the red dress project, that also came from Canada too. And it said that the color red will draw back their spirit. Mm. Maybe they're out there and they don't know that they're like something tra so traumatic happened that spirit kind of leaves and they don't know that they've passed away or they don't know that they're still missing. So with the Red Dress Project, it's like a big prayer to bring them home, um, to like uh, have a little bit of harmony within that family. There's so many un unanswered questions. So with a lot of my artwork, I've been using that a lot. My students had a really good idea over Christmas time. Um, Olivia Lone Hill went missing and we had this huge roll of red paper and they uh, folded it up like a gingerbread man. And instead of cut cutting out the gingerbread man, they cut out a red dress. So then they unfolded it and it was like all these red dresses. Oh, I think I think I saw that or something similar. Um, Ken had posted or sent me a photo maybe from the Nexus event. Yeah. Yeah, it was like, it looked like, um, yeah, it was like red paper with cutouts all along that. Okay. All right. Yeah, that's one my students made. They made several and then I just take them and leave them for all the community events I, I do so that that community can use them too. Oh, wow. We're trying to make banners. We made um, patches with their just like 10 by 10 canvas squares that we screen printed on and also gave them away patches are really cool and fun because then people put them on their their dresses or like their jean jackets that's like a big activism type of artwork do you do you sell any of this art your personal art or your or does your students do anything like sell it to help raise money yeah yeah, um, they did some posters that were treaty propaganda. They, those were really cool. Really cool. Um, just describe one really quick. Um, one is Uncle Sam's hands grabbing an Indian and squeezing him. And all these resources are coming out, like twisting him like a rag. Wow. And all these like gold nuggets is falling out and water and uranium and land deeds. So that that just sounds powerful as yeah. yeah as exactly what was taken from from your community and so many other communities just like yours. So so what can people listening to this podcast what can they do to help you can they follow you on Instagram or Facebook or or is there a website or a cause that they can help? Um my website is coming soon. I do have an Instagram. It's at Living Warrior Status. It's L I V E N Warrior Status. Living Warrior Status. I use the hashtag Stay Warrior Status. Um, but we've been selling like prints of the posters that the students did for like five dollars, or the patches are five dollars. Oh, that's awesome. And I'll try to find all that information and, and share that as well. And I know, again, to mention our mutual acquaintance, Ken, um, I know she has an up and coming. Uh, well, she's she's helping the YWCA um, and there's an up and coming event, a visual, um, I believe, about missing women. Um, I know you might your plans might be, you know, still in flux, but 
Uh, do you plan on doing more with that? Do you plan on coming to Charleston to, to talk and share more of your story? Or what, what's on the calendar for you coming up? Um, yeah, I would really love to go to that. Actually, as soon as we get off of this, I'm going to figure all of that out. Okay. <laughs> um, and then the women's gathering um, that we're doing, that's going to be a whole week thing. I think that's at the Black Hills. And so we'll get to travel to our, you know, sacred areas. When is that? Um, That's going to be in July, like July 15th. Yeah, mid-July. How how can people like myself, I'm African-American, as, as you can see. <laughs> how can people um, be better allies to awesome women like yourself and, and just the indigenous communities throughout the United States? How can we be better and more effective allies? Uh, I think communication is, is always a great thing. Um, inviting each other to events. Um Cause, man, we'd be so powerful if we really linked up. Um, Cause the black community struggle and our community struggle, you know, it's like it's like the same thing. It's definitely the same thing, and we have the same. I don't want to say enemy, but uh, opposition for sure. Yeah, maybe the same like uh, virus. Oh, we have the same virus. I like. I, I can. Yeah, and I, I believe it. I believe white supremacy and co- colonization is an insidious illness, sickness that's n- not good for anyone. Even white folks, it's not good for anyone. Look at the land. Look at the. Going back to what you said about food sovereignty, you know, um, all of that's driven by this this other being that's no good for anyone. It's not sustainable. And the one thing I did learn that was the truth um, from growing up about indigenous cultures was that everything in terms of, um, you know, how, how indigenous cultures hunted for food, how they treated animals, it was all very sustainable. Um, the use of every part of the animal, um, and correct me if I'm wrong at that, but I remember just being taught that, that you know, you respected the animal for what they gave gave you and you didn't you didn't take too much you took just just as much as you needed and I think that's you know I think that's a lesson that can be applied to many different things I I didn't mean to ramble but um it I feel like yeah I feel like your cause is is um is is a noble one and it gets us back to the basics or gets us back to where we need to be as a country right yeah everything you're saying is exactly right and basically we're just children of the earth learning to go with the flow go with the whole cycle of things with the circle of things instead of against it that's why yeah that's why it's a virus because the virus is trying to change everything and make its own wave when it can't can't really do that but i'm very anti-american too i myself i don't call myself an american um if anything i'll say pre-american it's just like really hard on paperwork and everything, but um, I still write, cross out other, and write in pre-American. You know, you know that that might sound controversial to people, but I've I've encountered so many different marginalized communities that say the same thing, and it's not that. Well, when 
I, I think um, it's it's people want to turn that into something very very mean or very um, evil. When but how can you say that when literally everything about your culture has been taken from you? I myself am a descendant of slaves, so I don't I can't even trace my family back, but so far. And think about you, land and culture and resources were stolen. And um, I think right now with the conversation around the kneeling and why Kaepernick kneeled during the national anthem, it got turned into, you hate this country. Whereas, no, we want to recognize that we're not treated as equals in this in this country. Are we really Americans? You're, it sounds like, you know, you're rejecting those ideals that are so destructive. And, and I... I I definitely can see that and I definitely can feel that and uh, pre-American that's a new term for me pre-American mm-hmm. okay yeah um, there's indigenous uh, American Indian or, uh, yeah I think pre-American's the the best one I'm very uh, very anti that's that's where my um, dad's side come from with being an aim and. That's why we were so fierce in Standing Rock, mm. where so many of us came. Um, and right now, we're still dealing with that. Mm. A lot of our relatives have just been going to court these past weeks, so these past couple of days, actually. Um, Little Feather, uh, he just got his sentencing as well. Um, I believe it was like 35 weeks, which he already served 13. So he's probably most likely, you know, gonna get out. But there's, there's others like uh, Red Fawn. Red Fawn got accused of having a gun at the front lines, and um, there's like a few charges of attempted murder. Um, her sentencing actually just got moved, mm. so we really that's kind of up in the air. But um, some footage just came out. Um, a few months ago, I want to say about four or five months ago, about her boyfriend at the time who she met there, he was actually an undercover FBI informant. And he literally um, confessed, well, he's talking to Morton County and he's he identifies himself as a FBI informant and that he uh, basically was the one who had the gun. And that, yes, I did get with her to find out more information. And so she was totally set up. So there's evidence that came to light. Um, the judge didn't even look at. The judge is not even taking into consideration. So basically, our, our defense is cut at the knees. And um, I, it, she's going to take the plea. Wow. Again, the parallels between your community and many African-Americans is is uncanny. And taking the plea is probably going to have to be her best recourse because the the way it's stacked up against against her. That's just um, I'm literally sitting here and I'm nodding and my mouth can't stop. Like, I cannot believe these stories are real. And I think I get an idea as to, like you said, why you felt forced to join this fight. Um, I I really do hope I can help. And I mean, this is not lip service. I really hope that I can help you um, in the future. So what, what, would you leave, what would you leave us with? If you um, had to 
if you had to leave listeners with a message, what would that message be? Self-education, being self-aware, understanding the realities of your situation and trying not to be caught up with the American dream. Um, Sometimes we're too much um, of a dreamer and not enough about um, handling our reality. Um, I really feel that if we're not the ones to start change, changing society, we're just pushing that obligation off to the next generation. And each generation, it'll be harder to get to the goals that we need to be at. Um, especially for my people, we talk about coming together as our original governmental authorities and taking our societies back and our languages back because they really divided us. We're all separated in these different reservations, but we're all the same people. Same religion, same same language, same everything, but they separated us and now we're all individuals. And um, it's about just really understanding um, written things. That's why I have to go back to education. Like treaties are written laws, but yet the United States won't follow them. And it's in their own written language and their own laws and everything. So it's like, well, if you're an Indian, it's the wild, wild west and anything goes. Mm. There's no repercussions for anything. Mm. We're out here um, invisible, mm. invisible to America because America don't even know we exist. So we're so busy having to put our fists up and say, we're still here, we're still here, we're still here. <laughs> Without even being able to talk about the situations that are going down. Oh, thank, thank you so much for sharing that very important part, especially about being invisible. Thank you so much, Sam Rose. Well, thank you. I enjoyed talking. Anytime, anytime. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Miked Up. I really did. Sunrose is just a wealth of information. And she's so positive and, and open and, and just herself, very genuine. Um, so I enjoyed the interview and, and chatting with her both before and after the interview. Uh, I wanted to let you all know about some events coming up in the month of June. Here in 2018, um, we're rearing up for an active election season. We have our uh, primaries that will take place throughout the state of South Carolina, but I'm focusing my attention and energies on things here in Charleston. So we have a number of events coming up where I'm reaching out to community members or helping uh, local candidates get their voices uh, heard in certain communities. So um, this week we have Voting 101 ballot basics that'll be held at the ila hall uh here on meeting street in charleston Uh, i'm I'm looking forward to this especially because it's not so much about talking about any one particular candidate rather it's a way for us to break down the ballot get people prepared to know what they'll see on the ballot and help those make uh help folks make distinctions between candidates based on each uh candidate's 
platform or or their stated uh, stance on on a number of issues. So we're just going to break it down, make it easy to digest so folks can uh, feel confident as they head to their polling places or vote early via absentee ballot. Um, So yeah, Voting 101 Ballot Basics at the ILA Hall on Meeting Street. That's going to be Tuesday, June 5th, 2018 at uh, 6.30 p.m. Also, we're going to have a meet and greet with uh, the candidate running for probate judge, Kelsey Willie. Kelsey will be at the Wadmalaw Island Community Center, which is my backyard. Uh, that's going to take place on June 6th uh, at, uh, at 7 p.m. So if you're interested to learning, uh, interested about learning more about probate judge and about Kelsey specifically, uh, myself uh, and a number of other community members will be there. So please, um, I ask that you join us as well. Uh, and last but definitely not least, I'm super excited about this third event. Uh, it'll take place on June 16th with the uh, Itinerate Literate Books. Uh, this is a bookmobile, guys, that I love. It's so so amazing these two women uh, entrepreneurs are amazing uh, i followed them ever since i relocated to the charleston area so on june 16th they asked me to uh interview the authors of denmark vc's garden so i'll be sitting down and uh, conducting a Q&A with the authors of the book. And I'm excited. The book is really good. I'm, I'm more than halfway through and in preparation for the 16th. So I'm excited to sit down with the authors and pick their brains and also to see you all there. Uh, for more information, please head to uh, our Facebook page. Uh, you can head to the Charleston Activist Network Facebook page for more information on the June 16th Food for Thought event. Or you can head to the Itinerate Literate Books uh, page for more information. This event will take place at Harold's Cabin. Um, it is open to the public. There is a paid admission, so you w- will have to check for details as to how much the ticket cost is, um, both on Facebook and I believe on at uh, both of our websites. We'll have that information. And uh, what other things you need to know? You need to know that, yes, at Harold's Cabin, that's 247 Congress Street here in Charleston. It starts at 4.30 p.m. and ends at 7, and it's on a Saturday, guys. So I look forward to seeing you all there. It's a great book. It's a great book that teaches you so much about the history of Charleston. And I, I can't put it down. It's an amazing book. And whenever I can't read, I I, I uh, throw on Audible to listen to uh, some chapters if I'm driving or, or doing some other things where I can't sit and read. So it's an amazing book. And I look forward to uh, speaking with the authors about it. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you found uh, today's show insightful um and informative uh please keep a lookout for a charleston activist network as we continue to move forward with soul to soul that's our get out the vote uh, initiative focusing on the african-american and latinx population here in charleston and throughout the state Uh, please check out our articles we'll post them at facebook our articles from both the Charleston Chronicle and the Post and Courier. We've been getting a lot of local love from local press and our community members, and we couldn't be more proud. Brittany Mathis and I and a host of other volunteers are working so hard to make sure we get out the vote and we help increase civic participation in marginalized communities here in the Low Country. So um, please continue to look out for more information regarding Soul to Soul. And if you want to reach me about volunteering or anything you heard during today's show, 
simply email me at Tamika at CharlestonActivistNetwork.com. That's T-A-M-I-K-A at CharlestonActivistNetwork.com. You can also visit CharlestonActivistNetwork.com for more information. Well, that's all I have. Until next episode, you all, take care.